0: So we are um, we, we we just start. We're in our second week now of our One Corinthians series. We're going to work through the book um, by God's grace uh, up until September. And um, if you want to know the background to Corinth, um, you know around the sort of 60, 70, A.D. etc., then you can listen to the last week's message. If you weren't here, I won't do that every week. it will become tiresome. So, um, But just so you know, it was a city of immense influence, it was a city in some ways very similar to London in a sense, very cosmopolitan, um, renowned for certain things, renowned for sexual immorality particularly, um, so I guess it might in, in some sense be a little bit more of a Bangkok in terms of reputation. Um, but also the intellects, intellectuals loved it very, very influenced by the Greeks and their philosophy and their wisdom that whole, that whole thing so that, that's the kind of idea that Paul goes to this city and plants a church in the middle of that just encouraging for us in the middle of London looking to plant and establish a, a church that will in some way impact and shake the city for the glory of God so um, so it's, it's going to be great going through this series and hopefully will really help and equip us in what we are here to do now over the over the last week, this week, and the next week, what I'm going to do is really just help us understand the first four chapters. The reason being that the way Paul t- seems to work over these four chapters is really he's doing one thing but lots of different ways. He's defending um, his own ministry, his own who God's called him to be. He's defending that he's an apostle. He's defending that he's genuine because um, that he's being challenged by people in the church there's an attack upon his authority as an apostle there's an attack upon what he's built in terms of the church and that's being manifested in three ways firstly through division and the way Paul responds theologically to that is that he says no, it's not Apollos who's leading this church it's not me who's leading this church it's not Cephas, otherwise known as Peter, who's leading this church it's Jesus Jesus is the head of the church Okay, you've got to get that right. As soon as you lose that, you always develop factions. We looked at this last week. Whenever you lose sight of Jesus as the leader, senior pastor, apostle, head of the church, you begin to develop a faction, a kind of mentality, a divisive mentality where you just begin to go towards your favorite preacher, your favorite leader, or whatever, and you, you become part of a camp. And it's the demonstration of the fact that you've lost sight of Jesus. So he he deals with that like that. And then the other element is around this subject of wisdom, that Paul doesn't have the wisdom. Remember the whole Greek emphasis on wisdom? Paul doesn't have that. His rhetoric really leaves a lot to be desired. You know, When he speaks, he's pretty unimpressive. And so the, the way Paul responds to that theologically is that he says his style is deliberately plain because the cross, the message of the cross, is the end of man in his pomp. It's deliberate. The gospel deliberately brings mankind in his pomp and arrogance to naught. So his style is deliberately plain. He's looking to undercut and undermine human confidence, eloquence, rhetoric, etc. And then there's a dispute around power. Uh, in the sense, in the sense of really, what has this guy really got power? I mean, isn't, he's unimpressive. What can he really do? What is he really established? Is it of any effect? And his theological response is this: is that true? Gospel power is expressed through human weakness, and is hindered by human self-sufficiency. So this wrong thinking in the church, he's dealing with it theologically, okay? Now he's doing that over these four chapters, but the way he does it is typically Paul. He doesn't just do the division thing, and then the wisdom thing, and then the power thing. It's, remember this thing of parenthesis? do I do it last week in the morning okay it's full of parentheses the whole time he's saying this it reminds him of something else and then he goes on to that then he goes back to what he's talking about but in the middle of that something else is triggered so he starts something new and then but then carries on with what he was saying but then he's triggered by, and that's the way it is so it's it's like the whole division subject and then you've got the whole wisdom subject and then the power subject and they're templated onto each other so it's difficult to just kind of preach through systematically so we did the division one last week today we're going to be looking at power Amen? Amen? It's Pentecost Sunday, so it's only right that we look at the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read from chapter 1, verse 17, and then we're going to um, we'll just read, we'll read through to the, just near the start of chapter 2, and then we'll do a little bit at the end of chapter 4. Okay, 1, verse 17. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, And our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God and then quickly chapter 4 verse 18 some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills and I'll find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for, it's just, well, in so many ways, so beautiful. But we thank you particularly today that it is our um, plumb line. And it helps us to see where we are building crooked and where we are going off course. We thank you for your word which keeps us grounded and keeps us straight. We thank you for the gift of your word, Lord. And pray as I preach it today that life would come, please. Oh God, I pray for the life of the Spirit. We just say, Lord, we are desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit. We are genuinely hungry. We are hungry. I am hungry to know you. I'm hungry that your power and presence be manifested in the church and through the church. I'm hungry, oh God, that that day of Pentecost that we read about would be experienced again and again in the church, in the modern day, Lord, that those who speak down, about the church and those who despise you and those who think that you've had your day Lord would be quickly silenced Lord as they are suddenly impacted by your glory I, I pray for that God I ask even use this message to ignite something in our hearts today I pray in Jesus name Amen Amen Amen, Amen. This is, I tell you there are some sermons that you preach some passages that you preach that you just think ah. I could preach this one every week and this is one of those. Uh, it's a bird, a huge bird in this subject. Um, I'm, to be honest with you, I, am, I would say I'm genuinely deeply concerned that uh, the church in the West does not give the kind of uh, serious, um, sober <laughs> um, weight to this teaching that it ought to that we so easily lean into our own understanding we so easily draw from our own resources we so easily learn how to do things well because <laughs> yeah? we've got the resources to do things well but where's the power? and uh, we, we've got we to we, go after this we've just got to get a hold of God for uh, restoration of power to his church in the west in the 21st century we simply have to, it's, we, do, we have to. If we're going to build anything that lasts, anything that really has the stamp, the print of eternity on it, we've got to get a hold of the power of the Spirit of God. You know, I'll be honest with you, I'll square with you. I don't get why it is like it is. I actually don't get it because biblically it seems that it is absolutely God's will to pour out His Spirit in mighty power. In the last days, I pride my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord. You know, Acts 2, Joel 2. Luke 11. You know, if you be an evil now to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are That's the truth. Our experience very often is I don't know, I mean, I speak as a, as a pastor, as a leader. Sometimes I feel, I feel frustrated. You know, you, you lay your hands on the sick and you think, gosh, another one that's not been healed. It's tough you tell someone about Jesus and it seems, it seems like there's no you see, Lord put some power into this you know. and it's tough, and it's frustrating so I want us to get into this and if, if, if all it produces is a hunger for you to get a hold of God I'm going to go home a happy man because maybe that's the heart of the problem maybe it's actually we are less hungry than we think we are we are much more settled than we think maybe that's where the thing lies maybe there's a, a hunger that God wants to put in us that will reach out to him in, in ways that we perhaps never have up till now that will, that, will, that will lead to a mighty outpouring of his spirit I know that the issue is not with him I know it so alright I'm going to bounce around just to help you uh, just, just so you know that's what's going to be happening I'm going to pull out some things from this passage I've read just to try and bring something coherent before I do that anything that I read that you didn't understand just want some clarity on as I'm reading it thinking what does that mean just so do you want to help on that okay Either you aren't listening, or <laughs> you're theologically great. Okay, fine. All right, let's go for one Corinthians 1.17 then, shall we? For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not this is interesting. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Did you know this is one of the most eloquent passages in Scripture in the Greek? Very eloquent. And yet, he, Paul, it's an, it's an irony in it. And as you, if you read some of the sermons in Acts, they're, they're good sermons, you know. And it's kind of like, man, but Paul's saying it, you know what? I've come to preach, and he makes a point, but not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. He seems to be suggesting that if he came with an intention, there was something in his mind that says, I'm going to do this really eloquently. The way I'm going to speak, oh man, you, she's going to just, you know, the, I'm going to about putty in my hands. If he came with that mentality, something of the power of the gospel would be taken out of it. It's remarkable. Why is that? What is that about? Well, I think it's like I said uh, a few moments ago, is that the gospel is really about us in our pomp coming to the end of that. Coming to the end of ourselves. Us realizing, do you know what? We don't have what it takes. If you're here and you're not a believer, if you're here or you've never really made that step to to becoming a Christian, let me say, a vital part of that journey for you is coming to that place where you realise you can't do it. You do not have it within yourself to save yourself. You don't have it within yourself, no matter what resources you might have naturally, to get right with God. It's something that is to be received freely when we come to the end of ourselves. And Paul is so that 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 is the heart of the gospel. And so really, what Paul is saying is if I came and I was just going to try and win you eloquently. Yeah, I was just going to put the words together so smooth, it's going to be like galaxy chocolate. You know, you were just going to be like, oh, taken away by that. You know, if that was what was happening, do you know what? Something was happening there, but it's more like magic than gospel power. And the impact. Would not be life change. The impact would be that you would be moved in the moment. And you may even respond in the moment. But something profound would be lacking in what had happened. I mentioned Barack Obama last week because I just love listening to the guy. I just I could listen to him for hours. But there's a danger in that. Because you can almost lose the content in the style. It's just so enjoyable. Paul's saying, you know what, I'm not going to come with that. I'm going to focus on the cross of Christ and I'm going to make it really plain for you. The gospel lays us in the dust. The gospel removes all false confidences. in Natural gifts, natural ability, personality, looks, physique, talent, skills. It removes all of that. Not that those things are bad or wrong in themselves, but when you build on those things as your foundation, they, they, they become bad in themselves. Okay, So those things need to be removed as your foundation so that Christ can become your foundation. Then those things can be, come back in under him and serve in his glory. And so what, what, what Paul is saying here is that a humanistic spirit kills the gospel. And that's one of the biggest challenges for the church in the West. It's a humanistic thing. It's like, it's like just bring Jesus in to what I do. Okay, Lord, I'm doing this now. Come on in and bless it. You know, Christianizing stuff that's just kind of, it's just, it's really, at its heart, it's just natural. At its, start, you're, at its heart, it's just merely human. Remember the last week, merely human? It's like merely human, okay? It, that's what it is. But you bring Jesus in and you try and, ah, come on, actually, this is, a, this is a God thing. No, it's not. Because for it to be a God thing, it must be built on Jesus. The cornerstone, the capstone, the beginning, the end. He determines everything. That is Christianity. That's how it should work. Words can move people, but the gospel changes people. I can't remember, you know, I got got saved when I was 18, 1991, in a Christian meeting. I can't remember a word that was said. I can't remember who was preaching it. I can't. All I know is something happened during that meeting whereby I, I was brought to the place where I genuinely gave my entire life to Jesus Christ. I mean, I just can't explain it. People say, why did you become a Christian? I said, I don't know, why I became a Christian. I'm as surprised as anyone. People say, look at me, say, you're a pastor? I'm surprised you're a pastor. I say, I'm surprised I'm a Christian. <laughs> I, am, I was ambushed, genuinely, ambushed by Jesus. I'm so glad he did it, I didn't ask him to, but he did and I'm so glad. But he changed me through the gospel. But I can't say, it was that amazing preacher that did it. No. I'm sorry, the, um, the American always kicks in at that point I'm really sorry Any Americans? I don't want to do that, I'm sorry Bob's not hitting no, and Bob's not here, it's cool okay. so, so, But what Paul is saying is Actually, he had to make a choice I'm going to go for the eloquence or gospel power It's that radical I'm going to go, I'm going to go for a choice here I'm going to cho- I just want the power of the gospel I want them to hear about Jesus cruc- crucified Why? Because the Holy Spirit Will use that he won't use my eloquent words if Jesus isn't being glorified through them. Because the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus, centralizes Jesus, honors Jesus. That's his main ministry, if you like, during this age that we live in, to, to reveal Jesus Christ. And so if someone's speaking about Jesus Christ crucified, the Holy Spirit will come in on that. If someone's just trying to sound, oh yeah, you watch, I'm just going to have him eat him from my hands. If Holy Spirit's not going to honor that. So Paul's saying, that's what I'm going for, I'm going to choose that one. That's why he says this. We're going to go now to chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided. Here it is again. I decided. Now, please, those of you that are believers here, most of you, I want to ask will you make this decision in your workplace, on your campus, down your street? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, listen, this is so encouraging. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. The Apostle Paul, yeah. In fact, Jesus had to visit him in the night and say, don't worry, you're going to be all right, no one's going to harm you. He was, it seems like he was ready to just fly out of there. The Apostle Paul, yeah. I was with you in much trembling. Weakness, fear, trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. Okay? They were not. How many believers get worried? I can't share my faith because I can't put it quite right. I can't frame it smoothly. Listen, believe this, please. They were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul is saying this. He understood that his style, what he decided in his heart when he was sharing the gospel, would determine the kind of disciples that were produced. Did you hear that? He understood the way that he was going to share Christ would determine the kind of disciples that were produced. If he was going to go for the eloquence thing and really build on that and just kind of make it as smooth as silk and all that kind of stuff, he was going to produce disciples whose faith ultimately was in the wisdom of Paul. Well, Paul said that. Well, then what happens when Paul goes? now what do you believe oh I don't know uh, what did he say again it was really amazing when he said it you should have heard him well what do you actually believe well you know Paul, you ask Paul cause they, well, their faith is in the wisdom of men get Paul back in he'll say it again amazingly you listen no, you can't even say it for yourself Why, you've not been changed you've not been changed you were moved you've not been changed Paul says instead I wanted to, I wanted to produce disciples whose faith was in the power of God now what does he mean Here's the thing, you see, because I think we often look at this and we think he's talking about miracles. I don't think he is. Now, do I like miracles? Love them. More than merrier. Sold out charismatic. Bring them on. Okay? To see someone's body healed when they've been in pain for years is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, glorious, wonderful thing. And believe me, the Holy Spirit still does it. Okay? And we're going to press in and go for that as, as a church. So make no mistake as to what I'm not saying. But I don't think Paul's talking about that here, because if we look quickly at um, chapter, verse 22 of chapter 1, he says this Jews demand signs. Now, if we go to the Gospels, Jesus often berates the Jews for them demanding signs. What were they after? They were after something miraculous. Do something, like Moses did, wouldn't it? Do, 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 do something really incredible. You know, Jews, that's what the Jews are after in these days. Okay? Greeks, they want the wisdom, okay? but we do something else. We're not primarily miracle workers in that sense. Primarily, what do we do? Prima- we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to the Jews. Crucified Messiah, a cursed, blessed one, donk, trip over. Can't see it. Okay? Folly, to the, folly to the Gentiles but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So I don't think Paul's talking about here that, that the way he talks, it produces miracles in the sense of limbs getting healed, although that marked his ministry. I think he's saying this. I want to preach Christ crucified to you so plainly that the Holy Spirit will come on the back of it so powerfully that you will be so remarkably changed by the message that you know you've encountered the power of God. Okay? What I mean is this. You were going that way. Your whole life was going that way. The way you thought about life was going this way. You heard about Jesus Christ crucified for your sin and now your life is going that way. That is power. That is incredible power. To be able to produce a 180 turn to this message, that is incredible. Where suddenly every attitude is up for grabs. Where suddenly people are singing songs saying, Jesus, have it all. Where before they didn't even have monkeys about Jesus. What is that? It's the power of God. How does that come to someone's life? Someone through weakness and through uh, what else was it? Through fear and through trembling saying this Jesus died for you. How encouraging is that? It is a lie to think that God will only use evangelistic efforts that are eloquent. It's a dangerous lie. I want to encourage you, church, talk about Jesus. I'm not saying don't talk about church, but church isn't going to change anyone's life. I wouldn't come here if I didn't love Jesus. Would you? I'd be playing frisbee in the park. Because I met Jesus, I want to be here. I would even say I wouldn't worry so much about talking about God because that means so many different things to so many different people now. You know, it's like this. You're good. Oh, cool. I like the way you talk about it. It seems similar to what my one's like. You know, no, talk about Jesus. He is the one who's been given the name above every name. And that's why it's so darn hard to mention his name. Because it's powerful. It's powerful. Talk about him. We've been amazing. Opportunity through what Davina's going through health-wise in the playground. Just to be able to respond to people in whatever they say. Say, Jesus is just carrying us amazingly. We've just so known the joy of Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Yeah? You're standing there thinking, this doesn't sound very really impressive. In fact, it's a bit silly, you know. And you know how you know how he's got one dad in the playground laughing at me because he saw a Bible in my pocket and all that, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And he's really cool, and you know, I obviously am not anymore, and that's fine, you know. But uh, you know, and you do, you, you know, and you feel like, oh man, what can this do? Well, hold on, it, it can do all kinds of stuff because this is the way God works. This is what it is. This is, this is what we're about. I mean, you've got to dismantle that worldly way of thinking which is it's got to be just so. It's got to be like this. It's got to look like this. No it hasn't, unless you want to produce people whose confidence is in that. I thought it was going to be really trendy following Jesus. Well it might not be. Okay? It might not be. Get over it. It's worth it. Yeah? Oh, I thought I'd be able to do that. Well you can't. Just follow Jesus. It's like the guy who said uh, he wanted to become a Christian and he said, uh, he said to an evangelist, he said, if I become a Christian, have I got to stop wearing jeans? <laughs> you know what the evangelist said? <laughs> Might do. Why? Why? Not because you have to stop wearing jeans and you become a Christian, but for him, a potential thing that would be a bigger deal than knowing Jesus. If it gets in the way, out it. Where are we? I just want to quickly read you um, a very wonderful sentence from the book of Acts where some of the disciples have been pulled into the leaders and they're having to give an account for what they've been up to healing the sick and preaching Christ and uh, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit notice this he gives this amazing speech to the leaders there's this incredible boldness and confidence Fishermen, okay Not an educated man, not a man with a degree, fisherman filled with the Holy Spirit. Please understand what I'm getting at here. I'm not knocking education. I'm not knocking, you know, doing well in the world. I'm not knocking that. But please, please, for Christ's sake, do not lean on it. Do not give it some kind of credence and place that it does not deserve. It is a false confidence and a false hope. People may be impressed, but they won't be changed by it and uh, we are not here to impress we are here to bring change Okay, so we've got to get it right what we're about change how does that come gospel what do we need Holy Spirit Okay, Peter filled with the spirit gives a remarkable speech now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were astonished and they recognised they'd been with Jesus They've been with Jesus. That's the big deal. At a prayer meeting a few weeks ago, we were praying and this prophetic word came about, abiding in him. And what it means to abide in him, because it sounds great. We all love that, don't we? Bah, I love singing. that. I love singing about abiding. I love it. It's so... But why, how do you do it? You know, one thing to sing about it, but how do you act like a branch? You know, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? How do, do I do? How do I get in? You know, It's kind of weird. I've tried. You know, I've tried. What do you do? I'm serious. I mean I'm piss- humorous, isn't it? But you kind of he's the right under the We really don't want to abide Lord. <laughs> what is it? Well Jesus tells us in John 8. He talks about abiding in his word abiding in his word letting his word dwell in you richly it's also important to note this in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 in Colossians 3 you have a description of what it's like to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in Ephesians 5 you have a description of what it's like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the symptoms or the results are exactly the same It's that you make melody in your heart. There's just this sense of worship and adoration and love for the Lord. Listen, guys, we need to be filled with the Spirit, which means we need to let the Word of Christ richly indwell us, which means we need to be in the Word. And, you know, I don't know how to do this. Again, I'm just going to share one of my frustrations again, if I'm just being honest with you. I, I struggle sometimes to know how to build a church that is built on grace, that doesn't become a church that is complacent and lazy. I don't know how to do it. And sometimes I'm sorely tempted to just say, Right! (laughs) We're going to read the Bible this much per day! And I know I mustn't. I know that's completely wrong. I know it's wrong. I know it would put in something horrible. It would would be the end of the church. It would be the beginning of the end for Revelation Church. It would be imposition. It would be legalism. It would be driving by fear. I would never do that. (laughs) Right? And yet I know that grace is supposed to produce such zeal that we throw ourselves into the kingdom. Sometimes you preach grace and then you meet with people and they've got this problem or that problem and, and they haven't even gone to the word. And they haven't even been in the word. And they wonder why they're malnourished and they wonder why there's, there's no sense of growth and it's just, there's just complete breakdown of discipline. I, just, I don't know what to do. What do, I, I don't know what to do. As a pastor, I don't know what to do. I'm going to keep preaching grace and keep cle- keep pleading with you to not see discipline as something as an, of an antithesis to grace. Surely not. Surely not. Surely there's something of we've realised that what the, what it means to receive this grace is that is that we have we have been we have signed up to the kingdom and to serve in the kingdom and to give our lives sacrificially to Jesus which means that we die and then once we've died we die again and you know what, in fact we die daily that's the Christian life that we actually die daily and that is grace because that's what we need we need to die daily, why? so the life of Christ can flourish in us that's what we need that's our deepest need and so I want to urge you out of the fullness of God's grace. Please, will you die daily? Please, will you die daily to selfish ambition? Please, will you die daily to worldly attitudes? Please, will you repent of them? Please, will you throw them off so you can run the race marked out before you? Please, I simply plead with you and urge you, will you do this? It's Otherwise, we're just going to become another happy game. Are they happy game they make a great sound and London carries on marching into hell we've got to get a hold of God we've got to see the power of God we've got to pray we've got to seek him I'm lost where I'm going <laughs> we're going to just wrap it up consider your calling brothers not many of you were wise according to worldly standards not many were powerful some of them were a lot of them weren't for the first 300 years Christianity was a religion of the slave classes that's the way it was only when Constantine said okay the Roman Empire is now religious it became a religion of influence and power I never that never that never what it was supposed to be about we have got to watch that as well You've got to watch that. We want to change the culture, but we don't want to. You don't want to become, get back to Christendom. We don't want that. Primarily, we're here to see people's lives changed. It's primarily what we're here for. How do we do that? We tell them about Jesus. What do we need? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's it. Not many. were powerful. It's cool. Those of you that feel your credentials on all that, it's cool. Those of you that never pray out because you can't, you thought, like, oh, I can't do it eloquently. Doesn't matter. We're a family and we gather to honor and love and praise Him. And my, you know, it's true for me, and I'm sure it's true for most of you. I'm often more blessed by a contribution, a broken, stumbling contribution that comes from someone who's clearly stepping out on a limb for Jesus. That blesses my soul a hundred times more than my own prayers do. (laughs) You know, or than those who are just kind of, you know, doing all the time. I want to urge us, let's not put our confidence into these things, natural power, natural resource, natural flair, natural charisma, surely our confidence is in Jesus. Amen. And that needs to hit every part of our being. And let's make, just make that a religious thing. okay? No, it, let it sink into every part of our lives so that our confidence and our trust is in him, so that we go to love him more. I'm going to just end with maybe just a bit of a, I don't know, like um, just i sorry it's not been a well crafted sermon, but it's a bit more of a heart pouring out job, really. I'm sorry about that. But um, I want to just say that when we get out of the way, I think the Holy Spirit will be very glad to come in. And so Jesus can be seen in the church. I felt like I shared a prophecy at the prayer meeting the other week. I was praying on the day of the election. And uh, I mean, you didn't have to be a, an amazing prophet to see there'd be a change of government. I know that, okay? It was looking that way, anyway. But I just felt God saying to me, "You know, there will be there will be a new government, but uh, as in a natural, so in the spiritual. Um, And that increasingly, people will understand there's a new government in the church. They will see that Jesus really is the head in the church, and where for so long people have it's it's been about people and famous pastors and this and that. People will recognise Jesus is here. Jesus is here by just the way people are, by the manifestation of the Spirit." Through people's lives. It's what is that? It's Jesus Christ, you know, and they will understand, you know, that it's not hierarchy and position and all of that, but it's, it's Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I felt God speak that to me, and, you know, I thought, I just think that's what we need in the church. That's what the world needs. They need a, they need a church that is not confident in themselves, but confident in Christ, willing to tell them about Jesus. Willing to go in fear and in trembling and to look silly. Willing to lay down their pride. Willing to stop trying to be cool. Willing to stop trying to, you know, just kind of impress. You know, like, like we say on missionary training, we're not, we're not going to just act weird for the sake of it, okay? It's not right. We're going to rely on the spirit now. Get the sandals out. It's not that, okay? It's not that. It's different. It's weird, okay? So you can be normal, okay? But your focus is, isn't on trying to see, get people to see you know, ultimately that you're just the same as them in that sense Okay, you want to connect with people, why? so they can see you're different so they can see that Jesus has changed your life so you can tell them Jesus died for you Holy Spirit can come on the back of it Okay, and it seemed unimpressive in the moment Holy Spirit came in, that person's life has changed come on I long for the day where we can baptise more and more people I long for the day where we can see Christianity explored multiplying through homes around North London come on, that's what we're here for that's what, we mustn't get complacent and we mustn't settle. And it, I would just say this to you in all grace and in all love, if you are resolved to settle spiritually, you've just resolved to do that. Um, maybe there's like another fellowship that could just accommodate you better. Okay. Maybe there just is. And uh, what I'm, I'm not pushing here some perfectionist thing at all. I'm just saying, I'm just saying we, 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 we've got to be a hungry people. Okay, if it's perfectionism, you know, forget it. We're all we all done for, aren't we? But just that sense of saying, "No, we want to, we want to go, we want to follow you, Jesus. We want to move behind, we want to move after you." It's not about church going. If that's if that's what's kind of your thing, go to church. And this it's probably isn't the best place for you. Um, but if you want to follow Jesus, please. Come with us. We'll trip over. We'll stumble. We'll falter. We'll sometimes, oh, we've got it wrong. He's going over there. We thought he's going that way. You know, we're, we're not. You know, make a lot of mistakes, but we want to follow him. Amen. Yes. Amen.